Super Bowl champion. Iverson steps over to Ron Lewis. him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. From Lancaster to Levittown, Allentown to Hokessin, Philly sports is a way of life, and we've got you covered. This is the Dell Valley Sports Pod. Welcome one, welcome all. This is the Dell Valley Sports Pod, episode number 23. Thank you all for joining us. Now, I know we may have some new listeners out there. Some of you may be familiar with who we are, but some of you won't. So if you are new to the program, thank you. Welcome. We'd just like to, to reintroduce ourselves. Allow me to reintroduce ourselves. My name is Bergs. Colin yeah. Berger here. Mmm, Berger. Mm. And across the mic from me is Dan Glasser of the third, a.k.a. DG3. Now, we're just some jamooks with opinions on Philadelphia sports. But a long story short, we met during a great time in Philadelphia, which was the 2017 Eagles season at a Eagles bar in Pittsburgh. And a friendship formed from being at the same place just about every Sunday. Continued on to the fact where I left Pittsburgh, but I stayed in touch with one guy. And his name was Dan. And we talked birds all the time. And we decided, after multiple text conversations, phone conversations, where it was an in-depth sports chat, a forum, if you will. Mm. We're like, why not we do a sports pod? And here we are. We are six months plus into the program, 23 episodes. 23 episodes later. It's absolutely awful to listen to. If you've gotten this far, I'd probably turn it off, but... No, it's been a Let's lot of fun, and I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad we did this. Yeah, it's been an absolute blast. It's been really, really therapeutic for both the good times uh, in Philly sports, and also for the bad times. To be completely honest with you, uh, so we hope that we get something good out of it for as far as the the viewership goes, and as far as the listening ears go. But it's been a total blast. I got to tell you right there, it's been a total blast, and it's been quite therapeutic getting all all this stuff out of our system. Now I would consider myself a sports nut, but having done this with you for uh, greater than 20 episodes now, I can officially say you are more locked in on sports than I am. And I applaud you, Dan, because it takes a special level of Philadelphia sports nut to be as locked in as you are. So I just want to give you a roaring round of applause real quick. Yeah, it's a for better, for worse situation, my friend. For better, for worse. <laughs> That's my. At least we're doing a pod, so at least I can say it's you know productive in some way. <laughs> we, we're not making any money, but at least we're we're <laughs> fanatical for something. So, well, with that being said, uh, a couple of things have happened in Philadelphia sports over the last few days. One trade deadline, uh, but one big trade that wasn't at the deadline. The 76ers mm. have gotten rid of the cancer that is James Harden. And yes. thank God. I am so glad this dark cloud is out of this town. He went to happy, sunny L.A. where he can go to every strip club he wants to. Good riddance. <laughs> Good riddance, brother. Have fun ruining another team. He'll probably still fly to Vegas, let's be honest. 
It's a much quicker flight from LA to Vegas than it is from Philly. <laughs> He'll be able to make it back from practice the night yeah, before. There you go. So the Sixers get Robert Covington back in this trade. Oh, no. Wow. Uh, Marcus Morris, a Philly native, Nick Batum, four picks and a pick swap, including two first rounders. So they are acquiring pieces to one possibly move up to get another stud player. I don't know this likely. Yeah, that seems what it's going to happen. I don't think they're going to stick with the players they got in the trade. That recouping some draft capital is huge, especially getting a couple first rounds now. That being said, they're not until 2028, and it's crazy how far out the NBA allows you to trade picks because the NFL, it's only three years, I believe. So it's hard to fathom and keep track of all of these picks that are being traded five, six years out. Uh, the Clippers get Harden, obviously. P.J. Tucker's gone. They got Nikolai, Nikolai Dmitry Petrushev. Uh, he's already been traded to the Kings, so it's really no matter whatsoever. And Danny Green is gone. And frankly, I'm glad I don't have they to watch They said games. this to him. Yep. Adios. Wave them so, goodbye. I'm and glad I don't have to watch PJ them. Tucker and Danny Green fight for five minutes of playing time just to jack up a meaningless three. I can't believe Danny Green is still playing basketball after that leg injury a couple years ago with us. That was with us, I believe. Yeah. Two years ago. Good for him. He's got to be at least 35 by now. He's but. he's so slow. So very <laughs> slow. His prime has passed him, to say yeah. the least. So that leaves the Sixers with Joel Embiid, obviously. Tyrese Maxey will now be running the point. Tobias Harris, still the, the third member of the team. And now, now Rocco, big 3 and D guy back on the team. How... How do you think – just what, what What are your opinions now that Harden's gone, Dan? Um, opinions on the team or the trade? Start with the just, trade. Let's start yeah, with the trade. Yeah. So I think any trade where we see the headline as James Harden is traded, I, I think most Philly sports fan would agree that it doesn't really ma- – it didn't really matter what was on the second half of that sentence – in part because he was such a cancer to he was such a cancer to the team that I think a lot of people didn't even want to watch just because he was even still associated with that team and all the drama. Yeah, there you go right there. Um, I didn't want to watch. And then I actually started watching the games and realized he's oh, he's not playing. I kind of actually do like some of the guys on this team. I just there's such a gross cancerous situation with the Harden thing. So that's part of it. Um I, I do think that there's a, a general addition by subtraction. I think that's fair to say. And you just kind of figured that they wouldn't get anything for him because wouldn't they have got some done in the off season and, and we're looking at hard and thinking like, who would want this guy on their team? You know? So the fact that we got picks and some, some potential bench players, I, even if none of these players work out, this is a huge win. I can't believe we got first round picks for this guy. Um, and yeah, obviously the fir- the picks will probably end up uh, being picks that get traded for another guy closer to the deadline. But then you th- that's something. That's a chip that we, we didn't have any chips for anybody. 
now we have a little bit of cap room and we have some chips for future guys. Um, that's wonderful. Uh, with Batum, I think he's a Frenchman, Nicholas Batum. Um, you get a PJ Tucker like player. I believe he's kind of a three and D kind of guy, uh, a role guy. I, I don't know if he's still a great defender. I know he was a really good defender. Now he's up towards, I think, 34. But P.J. Tucker was up towards, I think, the 37, 38 mark. So to me, that's a, that's a you know, kind of a lateral move there. And then I, I really don't like the Morris brothers. And I can't really speak. Who'd we get? We got Marcus Morris, right? Yeah. I just simply mix them up way too much to be able to speak on them as individuals. So I know at least one of them just seems to get in scraps and fights all the time. I can't remember which one it is. I can't remember. It's Markeith or Marcus. I don't know that he doesn't do much for me at all, to be honest with you. And then um, who's the third player? Help me out here. Well, Roko. Yeah, Roko. Yeah, Roko. I remember him being a pretty good defensive player, and obviously he can get a little spicy hot from three-point range. But again, if just one of these guys becomes a meaningful bench player, and just in general, I think you do uh, get deeper just as far as the bench goes. I think your bench – I mean, you. we're talking a difference between maybe like Danny Green type guy and Robert Covington. I mean, that's a pretty – significant upgrade as far as the bench goes you know so it, i do think we gained some depth we got some uh trading chips this and it feels like we can just move on it, in in a lot of ways it just feels like a breath of fresh air we can freaking move on it's so that in itself is just makes me feel more relaxed it feels like the season starts now in some ways even though they are three games into it I could not agree more. I literally have not watched a single second of Sixers basketball because of all this hardened junk. I just didn't want to hear about it. I didn't want to watch the team. And also, you know, we had the Phillies and Eagles are playing. And to me, frankly, basketball doesn't really get interesting until Christmas. Now, I am certainly and completely full disclosure here. Basketball is fourth on my list out of the, the top four. But I will root for the Sixers. I will ride for them whenever relevant. Uh, but I'm not going to go out of my way to watch the first three games of the season, especially when all of this is going on. But I'm just glad that Daryl Morey – it feels like he probably was forced into doing this because if he if he wasn't forced, he would have made this trade back in June when, when James Harden requested the trade. Yeah. He got the same – probably the same return he would have two months ago. But it feels like uh, – Brass up in the Sixers organization was like, "Hey, we need to we need to do something here. We we can't just wait for this guy to or wait for Thanksgiving and figure out what we're going to do with him." Yeah, maybe I think the guy they kept saying uh, on the Clippers that they won was Terrence Mann. Obviously, a little yeah. bit of speculation there, but he, I I this is more than I expected to get out of this trade at the end of the day. And I, and I really do feel like if they just traded Harden for, I, I really do. A part of me is like, if they traded him just for anything, like whatever, we can just move on with our lives, you know? Absolutely. I, so I, I will say this team has been, it has been fun to watch this team play without Harden because that has made Maxi more of the guy on the offense. And he has stepped up, man. Maxi's been awesome. We always, Loved Maxi, but this is a little bit of a different 
um, year for him because he's the the guard. He's a point guard, really. And um, I think he's allowed to run run the point now as the one. He's the only guy. He does not have to split time with James Harden to the tune of averaging 30 points over his first three games. Joel's averaging 31. Pretty damn good early signs for Maxi. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I, I think that there probably was some value to the last year or so, the last year plus Harden being on the team. Like Harden's, Harden's a good basketball player, and he's had a great career. Let's be honest. He's been a great point guard, and, and I do think there may have been some value to him being under him. Um, I, I think the one thing that impressed me the most, and this is just through three games, Yes, he's still scoring, but we've seen scoring in the past. So in some ways, it's not terribly surprising, right? What you just said, 30 points a game. But he has uh, an average of six assists a game, which is a little bit up for him, I believe. But this is the stat that I love the most. He's averaging one turnover a game at this point in time. That is phenomenal. I mean, that's phenomenal. That that is well above the... um, the average for a point guard in the NBA with that many minutes, we're talking about 38, 39 minutes a game, one turnover a game. I would expected that number to be a lot higher just because of the increased role uh, and an increased um, time with the, the ball handling on this team. I'm really impressed by that, but yeah, Tyrese has been awesome. Uh, Kelly Oubre, who I believe is on a one year minimum uh, contract. Like he's been He's been great. I, Kelly I know Dubre. Yeah. <laughs> I know he has flaws in his game. Um, but even if he is just the guy that can get you 20 points, you know, 15 to 20 points, um, I think the team as a whole is good enough to kind of make up for some of his deficits on the defensive end. Yeah, he's but, been playing very well, averaging 19 and uh, 19 and about four so far this season, which is pretty good for a guy you didn't know what you were going to get out of. I and think speaking that, on Maxi real quick, yeah. uh, prior to this season for his career, averaging 15, 2, and 3 uh, points, rebounds, assists, and also averaging one turnover. So points are way up, as are rebounds. Um, turnovers are about the same, but it, you know, it, it's, it's early. He's going to well, have a lot, lot more minutes, though, but that's a lot, a lot more, more ball. Lot handling. More minutes. Yes. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Well, minutes slash just like time with the ball playing the point guard position. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Ubre, just to finish that up, Ubre is, I think very motivated to have a good year and to maybe be more than just a score because he has been just a score and he was on the free agent market here and nobody wanted to give him money. I mean, we I do believe we have him on a minimum. So maybe that it's a good time to get a guy like him where maybe it's like, okay, shoot, I got to start playing some defense. I got to start. I, I'm trying to make that money. I'm not trying to get these one-year deals. Yeah. Stuff. You, you always see the guys on contract years who are like, well, I need to step it up if I'm going to make the next contract. Uh, real quickly, before we get to the Eagles, it looks like, or from what I'm hearing, they're possibly targeting OG Ananobi and or Zach Levine as as trade prospects to add to this roster uh, using these combination of role players and picks that they got. And I kind of, I like Zach Levine on this team. I don't know about you, but I think he'd be a very good fit. No? I don't, I, I've always thought Zach Levine is a little bit overrated. I always thought he 
can put up some – he can get hot. Don't get me wrong. He can really get hot as a scorer. I don't know. When I watch him, I, I think he can be a little bit sloppy and a little bit of uh, – sometimes I, I think he just gets a lot of points because of the attempts that he gets to shoot the ball more than – Playing on bad kill. teams. Yeah. I, I Now, I've heard a lot of good things. I'm afraid to say his name because I think I'm going to say it wrong. From the Raptors, right? O, o, help me OG and Anobi, yeah. I've heard a lot of good things about him, and I think he has a – he can't score as much as a guy like Zach Levine, but I think he has a more complete game. Um, as far as contributing uh, defensively and in other areas of the game. But, I mean, that's not surprising that they would want to target a, a guy like that, especially with Nick Nurse um, coming from coaching him in the Raptors team. I mean, he would know exactly what he's going to get with a player like that. That's for sure. Uh, regardless, Harden's gone, and everything they have now is way better than having him not playing for the team. I think we My- can... We can all agree on that. Why did why did the Clippers want him? Why why do they want him? What I do I don't know. I mean, they're adding him to Kawhi, Russell Westbrook, eh, who else? I don't even remember who else they have. Paul George, yeah, it's Paul, like, yeah, PG playoff Paul. Which is funny that that's his nickname because it feels like he's always hurt for the playoffs. But yeah, <laughs> I, I I guess I guess Maybe they're just why, trying to load know. up on super talent to. Uh, bring people into the building and then hope hoping somehow with a whole season under their belt, they can make it work. But Harden's over the hill. Westbrook's over the hill. Kawhi's breaking down. Paul George is old as hell. I don't know why they're trying to make it work with these 30 something superstars who are past their prime, but Hey, if they, they want to give us picks for Harden and try it. Thank you. Go ahead. And I don't even feel, I don't even feel like the Joker approach where I just want to see everything burn every, I, 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 I kind of just don't care that much. I'm, I kind of feel pretty confident that he's going to not be great for them and that you just look at his last three stops. It'll be good. He'll have a honeymoon phase. And then he like won't be getting the ball enough or won't get enough opportunities to to just shoot the ball. And and I don't I don't know. I don't feel like hatred and like I like I want that to happen. Like, oh, I gosh, I can't wait for James Harden to suck and for that thing to blow up. I, I just feel more like. I'm done with it. There's been so much drama with him. I'm so over anything to do with James Harden. Whatever. Good luck to you. Thanks for the picks. Let's just move on. Let's have a good season. Let's watch Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid, the former reigning MVP. Let's win some games. Oh, by the way, from a betting standpoint, I haven't checked today. But to start the year, the Sixers, and I'm not saying that I think they're going to win it all but they're still a very good team. They, they are a good team. They're certainly a playoff team. And to start the year, the odds for them to win it all was something around the lines, uh, somewhere around like plus 2,600, something cr- like crazy. I thought like crazy high. Um, some not, not, not a bad thing to just pepper just for fun, especially, but I thought those odds were crazy. I think those odds are only going to get, lower i don't think they're gonna get better than that so just something just something to look at yeah gives you a little extra rooting interest now uh before we get to the eagles the flyers are four four and one all right so the eagles <laughs> they played a game <laughs> go flyers we yeah, and go. and to that point we really we are trying we're gonna try to get more of a a flyers expert type person on here to help preview the flyer season a bit um frankly at least for me i, I think for both of us we 
we're a little ill-equipped to preview this season as far as things to look for, maybe some of the young talent. I mean, I can look at the the stats, but I, it would be fun to have a guy uh, or a gal come in here and kind of a little bit more Flyers insider than the likes of the two of us. Yeah, guys. for sure. And, I mean, I, I love hockey uh, as a sport. and I, I tend to watch more, more hockey than... Uh, other than football, but as a sport as a whole, I would tend to watch more hockey than I do. I would say baseball and, and basketball just because I enjoy the sport. And if I, if I did follow the team as strongly as I would, if they were good, I could probably add some insight. Although this season is not going to be the case because they are in a true rebuilding phase. The fact that they're somewhat around 500, almost 10 games through the season is a bonus at this yeah, point. So, they're playing well. They're playing well. They're 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 young. They're learning, and they have a lot of bright hope for the future. But I don't think we can expect anything to become of this season or the next. But yes, we will touch on the Flyers. We'll be t- we'll be keeping you updated on the Sixers as results allow and, and and require. But for now, it's football season, and your birds have the best record in the NFL at 7-1 after a wild fourth quarter on Sunday. Mm. Big win. Uh, defense gave up a lot of points again to the commanders. Eric Bieniemy seems to have our number. 38-31, yeah. some things were good, some things were bad. Dan, what are your overall reactions to last Sunday's game? There's just so much to say. Um, uh, AJ Brown, 125 plus yards at plus 200 something odds was the easiest bet I'll probably make all year. I hope that you and everyone listening also touched on that. Uh, <laughs> that was, I love it. yeah, that was juicy. I appreciate you, AJ Brown, um, in more ways than one. But man, I, there was a point in time I don't. I don't have the end. I actually do have the end stats in front of me. There's a point in time where he was eight for eight. There's a point in time. And that's, yeah, that's how he ended eight for eight. So eight targets. Look at this. Eight targets, eight catches for AJ Brown, seven targets, seven catches for Devonta Smith. You love to see that. Gainwell five for five too. So I guess that speaks to both the receiver uh, receivers and the quarterback in that situation, but man, I tell you what, the, the offense was unbelievable. The offense was unbelievable and they did it in both halves. The only major difference is that in the first half, uh, they had turnovers and both of those turnovers, man, were inside the, the five, two, two fumbles inside the five yard line. They still scored 38 points. Yeah. Pretty damn impressive. And then, yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, that's the thing. It's not even in the red zone. It's inside the five. So there's a pretty good chance that at least one of those, if not both, would have ended in touchdowns. Um, unbelievable. And then the second half, they just they just kicked their tails in the second half. The score of this, uh, the first half was 10 to 10. Yeah. Yep. And then the score of the, the second half was 28 to 14. <laughs> and that includes the one touchdown at the end of the game, obviously where they just said, Hey, you want a touchdown free of charge? And Washington said, sure. So, I mean, the set talk about a tale of two halves, man, unbelievable. But the, truthfully, the offense was good. The entire game, the defense just had a 
the defense struggled throughout the entire game, but they obviously had some big stops in the second half. Yeah, you could definitely tell they made an adjustment at halftime after having, what was it, three three team runs, four team runs in the first half, one with Gainwell, one with Swift, and two with Hertz, I believe. Because going back and rewatching it, I, I feel like five of the first six plays in the second half were all De, uh, DeAndre Swift runs. And we're pretty effective, most of them. Yeah. So it was, it was good to see that they figured out that they need to run the football to be successful. Well, and and they were successful in the first half. Yeah, yeah. And I and I can't help but and, – and that's what all of them were saying in the post game is we were moving the ball down the field. You're going to come at us for the running. But, like, we didn't have a lack of success moving the ball. We just turned it over twice. And sometimes I wonder, Colin – and they'll never say this and they shouldn't, but it's just so interesting that the first half they, they didn't run it. We were texting. They ran. Yeah. You said like four times total. And the second half, it's like, you knew that they were just going to come out and just like grind the ball. It, it makes you wonder if there's, if that's a strategy at all, you know, like all of a sudden after halftime, you start doing your grind it, run it down the field and you don't, obviously give them a halftime to make their adjustments to our run game. I don't know. It's it's just so interesting for a team to not run it at all. And then second half comes in. It's like, all right, boys, let's, let's run it down the throat. Like let's switch the whole thing up. You, you raise a very good point. And I, I don't know that I can argue with you as Nick Sirianni loves to remind us in every one of his press conferences that infuriate me every time I listen, but I still do. <laughs> You got if you guys were you know in the locker room if if you guys saw what we saw on tape like Nick we're not gonna see what you guys see on tape but you do raise a good point in that they're not showing their cards in the first half maybe they're intently flipping the script at halftime so that if they're trying to make an adjustment they're, if they're trying to go pass heavy in the first half and it's effective that they need to make an adjustment and then all of a sudden they go to the run counteracting that move that may have been made in the opposing defensive locker room. That is a very good point you bring up, and I, I can't argue that. It, but it, it doesn't make sense. Like, why would you rely on that as a strategy? It seems like the one thing that's super unique to football is halftime adjustments seem so significant in football. Like, we've seen the Eagles defensively look like a completely different team in a positive way. In and I would say in most games, so I can't help but wonder if that is a strategy where hey, we're going to show them something the whole first half, and even if it is very successful, not that we won't pull from that game plan all in the second half, but we don't want to show them the same thing. So they just as soon as they think they've adjusted or adapted to it, now they got something else that they're looking at. I don't know. And but another yeah. thing Sirianni said in his press conference is like, you know, there were a lot of called runs that we had, but when Jalen Hurts has the option to to hand the ball off or pull it and throw it, we consider those running plays because we called a, a running play that we were just going with what the defense gave you. And I get it to a certain extent, but regard hey, regardless, uh, it's been the working. RPOs. And who, who the hell are we to question a 7-1 football team who is – at least by a record standpoint, the best in the NFL. No, he's he is right though, and I remember thinking the same thing last year. You can tell when it's an RPO just because you watch how the linemen are blocking, and if it's like a 
it's like a play action, but all the linemen are going upfield and Hertz throws it immediately. That kind of is telling you it was a RPO and it drives you nuts sometimes because that's how you get the if he doesn't throw the ball, it's a laundry on the field every time because it's a <laughs> lineman down the field. And I really do think that Hertz probably holds on of it, holds on to the ball there more times than he should. I remember thinking it a lot last year. Hard to complain about Hertz right now. He's playing very well. <laughs> yes. But I, I do think that there is some truth to that. I do think they like to call their RPOs. And I, ugh, I'm i not a big fan of RPOs, but it's just because they're, I don't know, they put you in a weird box. But Well, speaking of Jalen Hurts, it seems like he's still dealing with a nagging knee injury. Don't ask him about it. No, no, he refuses to talk about it. But media wouldn't be doing their job if they didn't ask him about it. I feel bad for the guy. I heard the last one. The guy's like, hey, what sorry, today? I'm so sorry. I got to bring it up, but I'd be not doing my job if I brought it up. Hey, I was just wondering if the. OK, yep. Talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> I had to ask. He literally said that. The end was like, I had to. <laughs> Any update on the knee? Nope. All right. Thank you. <laughs> he just walked off the podium, dude. I'm, so- I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, what was that? What was that? Uh, that- clip from Nick Saban with Maria Rose. I won't, so quit asking. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like every every time they try to ask about Jalen Hurts' knee. I just hope it is a underlying issue that does not become a problem, and hopefully he does not have to scramble too much or put himself in danger. Hopefully they can just run the football down the Dallas Cowboys' throats, and then when they start doing that, they can go deep to uh, the Batmans and make mincemeat of the defense. Some really interesting stats. And just uh, if you watch the game, this shouldn't be any surprise. But the reason why uh, Washington offense was so successful, you're probably going, man, we're, we are not getting to the quarterback. We are not sacking the quarterback. We had one sack in that game. And I, Washington had somewhere around 40 sacks given up going into that game and yeah. i give washington actually i give him a ton of credit they had a really good game plan um made some big adjustments going into this game um and this was a stat that i got here so sam that's his first name right how yep sam how at the end of the first half was 16 out of 17 passes uh prior to that very last drive and at halftime he averaged 1.93 seconds time to throw average. 1.93. You you could almost not even have an offensive lineman blocking a guy and probably still get rid of the ball of 1.93. So it was much more of a they are getting rid of the ball so fast than the defensive line can't get to them. And it, and it was. I mean, they were throwing tons of slant routes, Tons of very quick passes, and I give him credit because on the year, and you you might go, okay, well, why weren't they prepared for that if that's their offense? But it hasn't been because on the year, how is 2.74 seconds? So, I mean, he cut off a whole second almost in that first half. So they had they adjusted decently well to it, um, but. That was kind of a, I think that was something that caught him by surprise a little bit to go from 2.74 to 1.93 time to throw. Um, and they looked surprised for whatever reason. They they were not 
covering those quick passes well at all. And uh, Blankenship looked bad, real bad. Uh, it, Bradbury looked real bad. Um, but give them give them credit. They they saw what they were up against, had a really good game plan, and were very successful in it for most of the game, frankly. Yeah, and that checks out because the really in-depth stat of pass block win rate per I think ESPN stats and info or, or whoever whoever does those really in-depth stats is 2.5 seconds is the benchmark is like if you either beat or hold your block for two and a half seconds you you have you won that play and getting the ball out and quicker than that time yes you're getting it out quicker than the linemen have an opportunity to beat their block or or stay blocked and it, it makes sense because going back to I want to like the Super Bowl year of 2017 and also last year, it felt like the book on the Eagles was just to, to get the ball out quick enough before the line could get to you. Whether they were just rushing four, if they brought a fifth guy, if you just get the ball out quicker, you take the defensive line out of play, and that has clearly been their forte uh, with the defensive line getting pressure, and that that's how they've been able to, to be so successful and win games is getting pressure with just four and holding holding your – your back end with, with the rest of the guys. But yeah, they got the ball out. They felt there was felt like there was a lot of space in the middle of the field. Linebackers were, were not doing very well in coverage, notably Nicobe Dean. I, I felt like he yeah, didn't have a very good game. Bad, real bad. Yeah. yeah um, take advantage of those linebackers and those safeties, the guys that normally cover the, the running backs and the slot guys, the tight ends, they really took advantage of those guys. Yeah, you didn't see many plays going to Slayer Bradbury, but a lot of them were Nicobe Dean. Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Um, Sidney Brown was in coverage a lot. Sidney Brown had an interesting game. He yeah. looked so good. at. He had a couple of plays where he looked awesome. Really looked awesome against the run game. That guy just loves to play very physical. I think that yeah. is very clear. Uh, but he did struggle in some of the past game defense and i know i know we're not going to get we don't want to get into it yet but i want to bring that up with sydney brown going into next week so would you uh would you like to do thumbs up thumbs down or do you got any anything else from the commander's game that you liked you didn't like yeah just one more stat um i'm trying to pull up so we had one sack that game and do you remember who it was by hassan reddick hassan reddick on uh, Next Gen Stats, he got that sack in 2.9 seconds, which is so fast. It's so good. Um, and just it feels like he has been Mr. Clutch. He seems like he's been good throughout the entirety of all games, but it seems like he's a name that comes up a lot in the clutch time. And this, I believe, was from uh, a stat put up by Bo, Bo Wolf. I, I saw this, yes. Did you see Great stat, yep. Out of 22 sacks since 2022, 22 sacks, 11 and a half have been in the fourth quarter. Apart from that, he is the highest sack rate of anyone in the fourth quarter when the game has an eight-point differential or less. Isn't it something like... 22 sacks, 11 and a half have been in the fourth quarter. Is, isn't it? Isn't his sack percentage in, the, in that time frame like 8% or something... Which, to put in perspective, I believe I, I heard the same stat, and they were interpolating it out across other defensive linemen for perspective. And the next closest guy, and again, this is not 
dead accurate, but I, I heard that Bo Wolf stat and then they went on further. It was somewhere between like six and eight percent of his snaps ended in sacks during the fourth quarter when the game is is within that percentage. The next closest guy was like three percent, and then the league average is like one point five. Wow. So he's like six times more effective at getting sacks during that crunch time than than the average NFL edge rusher. I just I feel like this guy somehow has just been under the radar for so many years in the NFL. And I don't think he's out of the radar anymore. But even when we picked him up, um, I don't know, it was a year ago. I think we got him his first Probably year. I last think it was year. last year. Yeah. He was pretty, that was a pretty under the radar move, I would say. Um, and he was with the, the bad teams. Panthers for a while. And I want to say, I, I think you're exactly correct. I, I forget. I feel like he was with no, one I think team. You're, for about I think four you're exactly years. correct. I think you're exactly correct. One team with like four years. And then, yeah, I think it was four years with the Panthers, Panthers and, the and a year with the Cardinals. And then we picked him up, and I knew his name, Temple Guy, uh, but I didn't. Jerry in the white, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not a fan of them. Couple Temple guys out Al, there. Al Don, PJ Walker, yeah, throwing the, the pigskin over there for Cleveland. He's he's still the quarterback of the Houston Roughnecks, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but listen, I mean, sometimes there's something to that. I haven't watched nearly enough film to see. I mean, some some of the greatest defensive ends. Will uh, speaking of strategy over the span of the game, they'll give you something all game. You know, they'll give you a look all game, and you'll almost like train the offensive lineman, the offensive tackle. You know, you're almost like training them of how to block you, so they now know what you're going to do. And then sometimes guys will, at big moments, pinnacle moments, or in the fourth quarter, whatever it is, they'll they'll spin something new into the mix and catch the guy off guard. You know, I, I think Freeney used to do that a little bit. Certainly with the spin move, we all know that. But sometimes you'll play that long game and you'll teach the tackle. Oh, I'm teaching this, teaching this, and then bam, you'll flip the script on him in a, in a big moment and make a big play. I haven't watched enough film to to see if that is what he's doing specifically. Um, but, I mean, that's pretty incredible stats. That's pretty, that's pretty significant. So Hassan Reddick, man, he – Shout happy, out. Happy to have you, brother. Absolutely. And one last thing before we get to thumbs up, thumbs down is I'd like to pat myself on the back for saying, let's go to Julio Jones in the red zone. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Turns now, out that the uh, Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson listen to our podcast and they are supporters so. of Colin Berger. Unbelievable. Uh, you know what? I, I'm so mad and that nobody, nobody cares about your sports bets, but I was just firing off Eagles bets prior to kickoff on Sunday. And I, I, went Julio Jones touchdown, but I was looking under the wrong column. I unfortunately clicked first, first touchdown instead of Rookie any mistake. time. I know. Mistake. I know. I know. I hate to do it to myself, but I did. So that yeah. was unfortunate. That was unfortunate. Turns but out I'm an idiot. You're a genius. Julio Jones <laughs> is the answer to our red zone deficiencies. Ah, I wouldn't go that far. It was one. It was. It was one week. It is a different type of person. I guess they were explaining that play, and that can. That's typically like a, a router position that a kind of tight end type person would be in. But Julio, obviously, more of a bigger, bigger body uh, type receiver. Yeah, I mean, and and they're like, hey, we'll throw it to Julio in the middle of the field. I mean, he's the end of his career, yeah. anyways. He could. Yeah, and he got his shot. Whatever. He got his clock cleaned. How about what did you what did you think? What was your read on the entire offense, especially the line, just like sprinting at him? That was kind of crazy. I, I mean, I did hear I'm hearing 
her little uh, feedback, a little echo here. I did hear that a, a part of the response was because they kind of thought it was a illegal shot to the helmet. So I think that fueled it like a little bit, but then it turned into a celebration, obviously. They were they were so excited for him, man. Absolutely. They were they were ready to support their guy finally getting back into the end zone in his old decrepit age. He's a, he's a likable guy. I think I think it's easy to forget that he was a generational talent, yes. you know, and these guys don't forget that. But no, cuz most of them have had to face him over the last 5 to 10 years yeah. for depending on how long they played. So, yeah, good win, 7 and 1. Obviously an important game next week. So before we get to that, Dan, thumbs up, thumbs down. To you first, sir, your thumbs up for the week. <laughs> All right. Thumbs up. Um, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's A.J. Brown making history with an Eagles uniform on, which you love to see. Yeah, he was unbelievable. And it's not just that he made history. I mean, along the it was like along the way he made history because we very much needed him to have that type of game to win today. I mean, he had a touchdown pass. It was like a one-handed grab in the corner of the end zone. Oh, my God, what a catch. It was an unbelievable catch. And then I think it was the other touchdown pass was unbelievable chemistry, in my opinion. I actually thought the broadcast did a really good job at commenting on it. They had safety high in a corner, and – they just were so on the same page with the whole safety high and they throw kind of that short back shouldery like pass, which was just on the mark by Jalen hurts. Great pass, but just it's a really dangerous thing when the quarterback and receiver develop that kind of chemistry that like telepathic. Oh, you, you looking at what I'm looking at right now. Let's do this. Do the thing we do when we're looking at this, when you can develop that kind of chemistry, uh, and then obviously the execution. I mean, it's a really dangerous thing, but just everything that AJ Brown brings to the table. Um, he runs, a, he, I feel like he runs a lot of different routes. He has a really good route tree and just the physicality, his ability to catch. Um, he was really, really good, man. He was really good. Um, AJ Brown, thumbs up to you. A well deserved historical game for you, my friend. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that by the time A.J. Brown's career with the Eagles ends, that he will be the best wide receiver in their history. Notwithstanding Terrell Owens because of a career, because he was only playing one year, but career as an Eagle, I feel like it's almost a shoe-in to say that A.J. Brown will be the best wide receiver to ever play for the Eagles. And after going through a span of time, where it felt it felt like it lasted 50 years. I know it didn't, but it felt like it lasted 50 years where we're just out here in the desert with our binoculars on, just looking for a wide receiver. You know, it felt like hopeless. And I know there were some guys in there between T.O. and and um and Brown, like you had your Macklin years and stuff, but generally speaking, it felt like we really struck out on receivers for a long time. Oh, big time. And then, Before T.O., you have to go back to Mike Quick and Harold Carmichael to find a wide receiver who was considered among the elite in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, 
part of the reason I know AJ Brown is putting up unbelievable numbers, but part of the reason we're able to say what you just said is because I mean he's only been an Eagle for two years now, right? So yeah. part of the reason we can say that is because we don't have necessarily the the big the greatest history of receivers, right? At least as far as a career standpoint. Yeah, man, he's awesome. He's awesome. He's, a, just, he's a good no, football. He's a good football player, AJ. He's Brown. a damn good football player. And he's good. Good football player. So my thumbs up for the weekend. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of torn here. I want to I want to say I want to say his his compadre Devonte Smith, yeah. because we've we've seen Devonte Smith not have some good games in the past few weeks. Whether he's getting targeted, not coming up with it, or just maybe not getting open and not getting targets, as you referenced earlier, seven for seven on receptions, touchdown, taking taking some of the the defensive backs away from AJ Brown, allow, allowing AJ to get one-on-one matchups and, and be the skilled player that he is. Mm. I, I think the tandem of those two working in unison is really helping the Eagles offense when they struggle to run the ball as they have shown in a couple games this year. So Devonte Smith showing up when it mattered, taking in all of his targets, thumbs up to him for the week. That's, that's where I'm going. In some ways, if you don't have Smith and you don't have Goddard, you probably don't have the opportunity for Brown to have the type of games he's been having, to be honest with you, because as well-respected as Brown is, you can't sleep on those other guys, especially Smith. Um, and one thing that's really cool, and it's a it's fun to see, you more so see it if you watch back the film, it's hard to see it live all the time, but as much as they it feels like they're force feeding or throwing the ball to AJ Brown there's a lot of route trees where he's running kind of decoy routes and setting up for wide open Dallas Goddard or open you know the slot receiver or what have you um so they are utilizing the ability of him to take on multiple defenders to be that focal point. They are utilizing plays off of that, which is really good. And a good sign for obviously cool AJ. I mean, what's AJ Brown? (laughs) Thank you for being willing to do that. AJ Brown, but also like, that's good. That's points. That's plus points for the offensive coordinator there. Brian Johnson. He hasn't been getting a ton of plus points. So we'll give him some plus points. That's smart. That's very, there were some good plays. Um, in, in this last game, especially, I noticed a lot of good plays that were working off of AJ Brown being the focal point for the defense. Yeah, <clears throat> and with the trade deadline being yesterday, Howie not making a move other than the Kevin Byard trade that mean he made early last week. I, I I would have loved to see them get another running back. I don't love Kenneth Gainwell as the second option. He did not have a good game. Uh, frankly, if you don't mind, I I will take. I will take thumbs down for this week, and mine's going to Kenneth Gainwell. Just bouncing off of that point. Fumble inside the five-yard line. Had two rushes for negative four yards. Yes, he might be a great blocker, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Matty. With the Instagram Uh, notification. (laughs) (laughs) It's Kenneth Gainwell in my DMs telling me I'm a fucking schmuck and he does I don't know what I'm saying. That's fine. With all due respect to Kenneth Gainwell, you did not have a good game. You're going to get into the game 
hold on to the football, damn it. And if you're going to run the ball, please get more than negative four yards. Thumbs down <laughs> to you, Kenneth Gainwell. I know you're RB number two, but we need to see more out of you. Uh, for those just well, well, well listening, yeah, for those just listening, check out the YouTube. Pat's throwing in some silly little graphics today. He's got the Kenneth Gainwell running the ball next to an Instagram logo with a notification on it. What's he alluding to there, Colin? I don't know. I think Kenneth Gainwell is taking to Instagram and getting mad at everybody who's chirping him. <laughs> Stay off your damn phone, <laughs> Kenneth. Yeah. Wait, was that an issue? Was he, was he like clapping back at fans who were oh, talking? No, you didn't hear about this story? No, I didn't. This is this is news. Colin, he was what? responding to DMs at halftime. What? At halftime? Yeah. At halftime. Oh my god. Dude, he was responding to DMs at halftime. I, I don't know if Pat has the exact. Uh, Pat's with us here. He's he's listening. He's in the chat here with us, giving us info. I, I don't have exactly what he said, but it was basically not, like someone, this. someone, you know, people giving a hard time that he fumbled and stuff, and him clapping back a little bit. But it was at halftime, which is the significant part there. How how the hell are you even allowed on your phone as an NFL running back in a locker room at halftime? Please. Yeah, phones should be locked in a drawer, like Better Call Saul when when Chuck was coming in with his electric uh, allergy. You can't be on your phone at halftime in an NFL nice locker pull. room. What? Nice pull, good show. Thank you, great show. <laughs> his electric allergy. <laughs> I'm allergic to electricity. No, you're just fucking crazy, dude. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I don't think that anyone should be dming on their phone especially i mean let's be honest if you're a backup you have a little bit more to on the line there you're a little bit easier to to say goodbye to than if you're like an aj brown for being honest so yeah not good but yeah thumbs down and that's why he's definitely thumbs down for me is not just the fumble but then also that halftime response was not a good look anyways well, he's a no doubter thumbs down that it had i known that but i oh, did yeah. so thank you producer pat my thumbs down is going to go to uh reed blankenship uh he had a really bad game he fortunately in the in the second half had an interception which the way I see it was a little bit of kind of a right place, right time type interception. So absolutely give him credit. Huge interception, huge pick. Um, not, you know, again, and there's something to right place, right time, but definitely, you know, I would say it was lucky, but luck is the residue of design. So you got that part of it too. But yeah, his worst game by far is specifically in coverage. Felt like he was chasing guys all game long. Um, I think a really, really, really big aspect to secondary is chemistry. It's like, unless you are one-on-one -on -one matchup, no matter what, I mean, you got to be on the same page with four to six other guys with coverage. And I would not be surprised if the struggles continue a little bit, but that it gets better in the grand scheme of things with Kevin Byard. Byard. Gosh, I don't know why I always struggle with his last name, but chemistry is so huge in coverage. And I think that just needs to be developed to some degree. Um, post game Blankenship was very upset with himself. And that's a guy who got a huge pick showed a lot of, showed a lot of humbleness that he wasn't even talking about. That he was upset because, of, because he was thinking of how he had a really bad game, you know, 
you'd see some guys that go, yeah, I got a pick. You know, I feel good about the game. Yeah, I'll get better at the other stuff. No, I, I, a lot of humility. I like Reed Blankenship a lot, and I wouldn't be surprised if this thumbs down gets flipped over in a short span of time here. But for now, thumbs down, Reed Blankenship. You'll do better, though. We still love you. Reed Blankenship is uh, becoming a fan favorite with many nicknames. I think my favorite thus far is the Milk Missile. The Milk the milk Missile isn't bad. It feels like it's just mm, – it's close. I didn't hey. like the first one you sent me that year. You didn't like didn't Chalk Talk? Like yeah. No, he has not. He's got a lot of work to do to live yeah, up to the a lot of work to do. And then he goes and marker. has that game. I'm like, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going to nickname this guy. Like, come on. No, but your point about the chemistry is a great segue into Eagles-Cowboys in that they mentioned it on the broadcast. This is their eighth game of the season and their eighth different starting lineup in the secondary. And there has been absolutely no chemistry as far as that's concerned. And my second thumbs down would have been uh, Sidney Brown. I don't know why his name keeps failing me when I, when I try to access that part of my brain. Sidney Brown is a fantastically aggressive player when it comes to the run game or, or when he needs to make a big hit in the secondary. But in coverage, he seems to struggle a lot. And it seems like he was lining up in the slot a lot. And this coming week, C.D. Lamb, I feel, and I don't have the numbers to back this up, but it, it, it seems to me he lines up primarily in the slot when when – they are going three wide receivers. And if Sidney Brown is covering C.D. Lamb, this defense is in for a very long Sunday afternoon at 425. I'm hoping they get something figured out there and not have Sidney Brown in coverage. Hopefully he's in on first and second down and not obvious passing downs. But they're a little bit depleted without Avante Maddox, and, and that injury is starting to rear its ugly head because they don't have a good third corner behind Bradbury and Slay. Yeah, and then their other, their second most targeted receiver is their tight end, Jake Ferguson. So it's definitely in between the hashes is definitely an area of the field they're willing to go, or at least the slot tight end type guys. I think, I think you're right. I think CD lamb is a guy that is just moved around and, and kind of can play everywhere. Whereas I think a guy like Gallup could be mistaken. But I think a guy like Gallup is typically more on the outside. Yeah. Gallup and cooks are, are your, your deep like burners on the outside or, or a bubble screen type CD lambs, uh, He's a chameleon. He can kind of play all positions, but they utilize him in matchups in the slot so that he can get matched up across from a linebacker or a safety playing upward coverage. And they're going to have to scheme. I mean, this is what Sean Desai gets paid millions of dollars to do and scheming as to how to stop that with the pieces they have on the field. So I'm, I'm going to be very locked in on the defensive math, defensive mashup. Matt, wow. Defensive matchups as it pertains to C.D. Lamb lining up and, and how they go about it. And even with Jake Ferguson, same thing is they're probably going to try to get him in the center center of coverage out there in the in the, the holes. And whether it be Cunningham or Nicobe Dean, safeties coming up on the ball to, to play, play nickel corner, uh, nickel safety. They, I don't know about you, but if the Dallas offense gets a little hot, I don't, I don't feel so good about the Eagles. 
Lamb and Ferguson account for five of the 10 passing touchdowns um, for Dallas. So definitely big red zone targets. And I agree. I think the common thread is that the guys have struggled on defense a lot as far as coverage goes or those younger guys, you know. Uh, I think Dean can look a little bit lost out there as far as coverage goes. Sydney, Sydney Brown, of course. Um, yeah, I it, and this team, I tried to look at a lot of the stats. I haven't watched a ton of Dallas games because I don't really care to watch them, If especially if they're playing well and winning. And frankly, they more times than not have been doing that this year. Um, very, they seem a lot more inclined to do quick passes and intermediate, uh, short to intermediate rather than big type plays. Um, Dak gets rid of the ball really fast. I had the numbers. I don't have them right now in front of me, but they are definitely much more of a style. The style that's closer to the style that we struggled with against the commanders in terms of uh, quick routes, get rid of the ball really fast. Dak isn't really one to hold on to the ball for, for an extended period of time. So maybe it's a good thing that we had so much of that in this past game. We can kind of learn from that and learn how to at least more quickly adjust and adapt to that because I think they're much more of a let's work our way down the field type offense than a big play type offense. Um get rid of the ball fast, eat up clock, functional plays. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of worries me because that's kind of what we've struggled with, but. No, I, I agree though, in that they, they have a lot of introspective tape to look at after last week and believe that that's what they are going to face this weekend. And if anybody wants to beat the Eagles, it would seem take Eric Bieniemy's playbook and use it because for whatever reason, whether it was with the Chiefs the past few seasons or with the Commanders this year, he he seems to know how how to get into the cracks and crevices of this defense and put up points. So hopefully, we can do some self scouting in the in the uh, week leading up to this weekend and figure out how to not give up that many points, that many yards, because the Eagles defense made Sam Howell look like a stud, and he's not. And Dak Prescott's a better quarterback than Sam Howell is with better weapons on the outside. So I think the the Dallas defense is concerning to me because they have gotten quite a few turnovers and we have been turning the ball over far too much the last several, honestly all year, but especially the last several games Um, we've been, we've been turning the ball over like crazy uh, I have a really fun stat for you. This is maybe a guy you've never heard of before. And and I don't know if this guy would be having as much playing time uh, if it weren't for the injury that they had to Diggs. But Cowboys interceptions, hang on tight here. They have Stefan Gilmore, who we've all, he's been in the league forever. He has two interceptions. They have a youngster, second year in the league kid, Deron Bland who has four interceptions already. But what's even crazier is that he has three interceptions returned for touchdowns already this year. And the fun fact is, in the pop quiz, I'll be impressed if you can get this one, Bland's three interception return touchdowns are the most in a season in Cowboys history. 
He is only one more pick six away from tying the NFL season sickered season's single season record of four. That was once accomplished by a Philadelphia Eagle. Can you name that Philadelphia Eagle? I can give you the year. No, don't don't it. give me it. No. Sheldon Brown. No. Okay, then give me the year. 1993. Eric Allen. Eric Allen holds that record. Okay. We're on the line for making sure that uh, he doesn't get any interceptions this game. Also, I went a little bit to uh, – we won't go too deep in this wormhole here, but I was curious, Eagles with most Eagle with most interceptions, just interceptions of all time. There are three Eagles tied with the most interceptions in franchise history. Can you name those three Eagles? Oh. Is Lito Shepard one of them? No. Is Eric Allen one of them? Yeah, I was going to say, start with your boy Eric <laughs> Allen. There you go. There's one. Eric Allen. Allen. Two more. Eric Allen. Um, it's, it's not B-Doc, is it? Brian Dawkins, one more. Really? Okay. Yeah, and it's not, and Reed Blankenship isn't on this list either, just so you know. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> really? Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm just trying to come at you for comparing him to, to Dawkins. With, um, with the nickname. I'm just kidding. There's one more. I, I'll, I'd be very surprised if you guess this guy. I He's from the 70s. I have no idea. Bill Bradley. Not, not Sean Bradley. Not Sean Bradley. He did not make this list. Yeah. And they are all tied with 34 interceptions. It's crazy. Huh. I did not know that. Fun Thank fact, you, Dan. Dan. Fun Darren, facts. We Darren love fun Bland. facts around here. Darren Bland is, is one away from tying the record for pick sixes in a single year. And that record is held by an eagle. So come on, boys. Yeah. Uh, Jalen? <laughs> Don't throw it. Don't throw some easy picks, please. But Darren Bland, he's got four interceptions on the year, and he's a second-year guy. I think he was drafted in the fifth round. He's been a great player for this team. Do you, do you know it's, it's, he's a typical outside corner? I'm assuming he's not the slot guy, not a nickel corner. I believe he's on the outside, but I can try to look that up while you talk. Yeah. Well, it, as you said, it seems like he's getting a lot more playing time because Trayvon Diggs is, is not playing. And I know Trayvon Diggs is strictly an outside guy. So it would make sense that he would be the outside corner. And I, I, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, Dan, I, if we're looking ahead to making a prediction, I don't know if the Eagles are winning this game. Mm. I, 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 certainly, I certainly don't think that the Eagles are going to sweep the Cowboys. I'm hoping that maybe the crowd gives them a little bit of extra juice this weekend. Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, not prime time, but you know, America's game of the week on Fox. Everybody well, Dallas gets taken over. Micah Parsons called for the Dallas Cowboys fans to make it a home game. Yeah. There's been a thousand games at Lincoln financial field. And how many times has an opposing team taken over? <laughs> exactly. Zero. Good luck, buddy. I know you went around your troops down there in, in cowboy land, but there's not enough cockroaches <laughs> in, in the in the Delaware Valley to take over Lincoln Financial Field. Not a shot. 
it's funny. It's funny. I love I love E Rock and, and all of his social media stuff. And he, he brings it up every week, whereas uh everybody wants to come and invade the the link. Two weeks ago it was the Finvasion. He's like, Oh yeah? Yeah, you want to make an orange out in Lincoln Financial Field? Let me let me tell you the last time that's happened. Never. And it's not going to. <laughs> so all right. The Eagles, know. the Eagles travel and make 17 home games a year. There ain't no way another team is coming in here to take over the link unless the Eagles are trash. And even what even when the Eagles are bad, we still show up. It's not like the Flyers or the Phillies where we might not show up because the product on the field isn't good. Eagles fans are built unlike any other. And we will fill that stadium even if it's just to boo the hell out of a bad team. Nobody's taking over this stadium. Ain't no way, ain't no how. I'm seeing right side cornerback, by the way. So it's tough to tough to find. But I do think the youngster, I can't say his last name. It's like Noah. And then it's tons of letters. It starts with an O. I think he's their slot guy. But that's just as far as I can tell. But yeah, I agree with you. I do. I actually do think the Eagles can win. Will win this game. Um, It's such a big game. Uh, Huge. Eagles. Eagles go into this seven and one Dallas go into it five and two and the Eagles we've talked about in previous pods that the Eagles are about to go into this gauntlet. They're kind of in the gauntlet right now, but on the other side of the bye week they have some really tough games and you're talking about the difference between going into the bye week and then these very difficult games in, in second place. If they lose, they'd be in second place. Because the tiebreaker would go to Dallas. Yeah. All right. I guess. Well, no, I guess. No, I guess they they wouldn't. They wouldn't be. But that's just. Cowboys would be six and two. Eagles would be seven and two because they have yet to have a bye. But your point. Your point. I guess my point is they'd lose. They'd lose the tiebreaker at that point. At that point in time. And Dallas is about to have a string of games against pretty beatable teams. And the Eagles have the opposite. So to go into that situation. I've not looked at Dallas' schedule, but pull that up real quick. Pull that up real quick. Okay, we'll do. I can tell you that the Eagles come out of the bye to face the Chiefs, the Bills, the Niners, and then the Cowboys again. That is right. So our next three off the bye are all very difficult games. Super Bowl contenders. Right. You'd feel a heck of a lot better going into that being not just one more game above Dallas, but having that head-to-head win takes a lot of pressure off you coming off of the bye week. So versus the alternative where you could potentially be tied after the bye week and at not even really tied because they'd have the head to head matchup. And now you got to play three Super Bowl contender teams and then Dallas again um, puts us in. I mean, we're not breaking news here, but it puts us in a significantly better spot if we can win this game really puts the pressure on Dallas and, and takes quite a bit off of us going off the bye in into, and then off of the bye. Absolutely. Yeah. And the Cowboys after this week, take on the giants, Carolina and Washington. So there you, as go. you said, three very winnable games before uh, taking on the Seahawks and then the Eagles for the second time on December 10th. So they were I, don't, all- I don't go ahead. They were already winnable games, but now it's Washington without Chase Young and Montre Sweat. It's the Giants without their one of their best defensive tackles as well, and who knows who's going to play quarterback. So, I mean, 
those games just got even easier after this trade deadline. Um, yeah, we it's a big game. It, it really is a big game. Yeah, I don't I don't think it could be understated. And it's also probably the biggest Eagles Cowboys game since 2019, last game of the season when uh, Eagles and Cowboys, I believe, were both eight and seven going into Week 17, mm. and winner winner uh, won the NFC East. Uh, I think I think that's the case. But it, you know, you had Ben DiNucci in there. You had a couple no name games at the end of last season. Jalen Hurts was out on on Christmas Eve. It's yeah. definitely the biggest Eagles Cowboys game in a few years. I'm I'm interested to see how they show up. I know Sirianni's not going to wear any more beat Dallas shirts because <laughs> he's not he's not going to make this game any more of a priority than any other game. He'll leave that for the fans to do. But I'm really hoping that the Eagles, as a team, can hunker down, knowing they have a bye week next week, and give it their 110 percent effort as opposed to maybe their 100% effort that they do every other week, knowing it's a divisional opponent and what lies on the other side of the bye. Yeah. And there's a lot of guys that have been toughing it through some injuries or hurts, whatever you want to call it. Jalen Hurts has something going on. Clearly, he's working through. He's just feel like some of these guys, they can just gut it out for one more week. We've had a lot. Jalen Carter, it looks like he was practicing this week, but he was hurt in the last game. Um, Milton... uh, Blanking, give me Williams. Thank you. Milton Williams, I think, has been hurt for a couple weeks now. I keep hearing how he's limping around in the locker room and stuff, but he's he's tough as nails because he's playing and he's being productive still. I mean, that guy is the truest wild card of this whole defense, in my opinion. That guy's like the fourth defensive tackle on this team as far as depth chart goes, and he has been unbelievably productive even through whatever injury he has right now. I think it's a foot or an ankle situation. So hopefully these guys can kind of tough it out, sneak in a win, or don't sneak it in, just full-fledged get a win in your face kind of game, and then and then go into the bye week and get healthy. Yeah. If the Dolphins was the first referendum game on on what this Eagles team is this season. This is number two. Something to keep an eye on as the week goes further. Sua Opeta is limited participant in practice, currently listed as questionable for this weekend, but they did just open the 21-day practice window for Cam Jurgens, and there is a possibility he could play this weekend. I have not seen the injury report. It would be, especially if Opeta cannot play. If Opeta and yeah. if Opeta and Jurgens are both out, I would I'd put a bet on the Cowboys. I'm not going to do so, but if I was a bipartisan party, I would uh, yeah, I would just keep an eye on the left guard situation for the Eagles leading up to Sunday because that is going to make a whale of a difference based on who's out there, knowing that uh, Micah Parsons is lining up on the other side. And if he has a little opening at left guard, he's going to take it. Opeta has been okay. He's been fine. He's been okay, yeah, okay. Especially as a backup, right? I mean, how good can you expect a backup to be? They're yeah. a backup. Wouldn't they be a starter somewhere else otherwise? But you can tell the difference. I mean, we haven't seen those gaping holes on yes, run plays like They have did. not been able to run the ball turns. nearly as well since he's been out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's And it's – it's 
they've still been able to run the ball and block. And again, it's it's more a compliment to how good they are, I think, with Jurgens than Opeta being that bad. And and it's also a little bit of a chemistry thing. O line is very similar to what we we're talking about with um defensive backs. It's a it's a ton of skill, it's a ton of intelligence, and it's a ton of being on the same page with those other dudes. But they're still blocking well. Opeta's been fine, but with Jurgens, you saw like five yard five free yards on run plays. So it'd be man, it'd be huge to have him back. But if he's not ready to be back, I'd rather him not come back than rush into it, you know. Absolutely. So before we get out of here, Dan, would you like to make a score prediction on this weekend's game? You can say no. I'm just giving you the platform to do so if you'd like to. Yeah, always. Don't tempt me with a good time. Uh, we're going to go with the Eagles to win this game. Hopefully have a much better first half. Eagles. 27. No, I'm going to stick with what I wanted to say. Eagles 31. Cowboys 17. Wow. 14 point win. Yeah. That's hefty. Yeah. Okay. Up. All right. Um, I will preface this by saying I hope that I'm wrong, but I think the Cowboys win this game. I'm saying 26-23, probably a heartbreaker. Cow last-second field goal. Again, I hope I'm wrong. I will never root against the Eagles, especially against the Cowboys. But they're not going to win every game, and I'm just afraid this, uh, this might be a tough spot. That's all I have to say about that. Run the ball. Run the ball well, boys. <laughs> Please. Get Lane some- Johnson, Micah Parsons matchup could be a lot of fun to watch. Typically, this Eagles line has been really good against the divisional talent, talented defensive ends. We've seen that stat. Well, not even just divisional, just talented. Like we saw that stat with Aaron Donald. This team gets coached up pretty good when they go against these superstars. So I hope to see that on Sunday. Jeff Stoutland University. <laughs> Dan, any, any, any wise words for the people before we get out of here? Oh, just, just a little bit of wisdom for the folks to never follow anyone else's path. Unless, of course, you're lost in the woods and uh, you see a path, then by all means, follow that path. I love it. Yeah. I, I will I will share something real quickly before I we get off. Uh, if you have friends, you have loved ones, make sure you go see them. I just lost a buddy of mine who I hadn't seen in a very long time, and there were poss- there was chances I, I was able to and, and didn't get to. So life is very fragile. Make sure you make the most of it. If you got someone in your life you love, make sure that you let them know. Let them That's know. all I have to say about that. So well put, my friend. Thank you. Dan, it's been a pleasure. Have a great rest of your week. And as always, go birds. Go birds, baby.